The Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast is sponsored by Prairie Care. You know, going through the process of getting help with your mental health can be very overwhelming. I definitely know that from firsthand experience. Prairie Care can help guide you through it and get you in touch with the help that you need. They've been offering mental health services to all ages in the Twin Cities of Minnesota since 2005. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. That's prairie-care.com. Hello there, my friend, and a big welcome into the podcast. Take what serves, leave the rest. Uh, Great to have you here with us. My name is Brian. I'm your host and looking forward to spending this time with you in the midst of whatever it is that you have going on in your life out there. Today on this episode, talking to just a wonderful, beautiful, radiant human being by the name of Katie Steller. And Katie is the CEO of Steller Hair Company in Northeast Minneapolis. She is the founder of the Stellar Kindness Project. And as part of the Stellar Kindness Project, she travels around the community with a salon chair in her trunk, and she gives haircuts to people in need in the community, many of them experiencing homelessness. And uh, she was actually just featured nationally by CBS News in a a special that they did around the holidays that was focused on kindness, which is just amazing. And um, we talk about that and and just her her work in the community. We talk about so many other things. Um, She shares her journey with ulcerative colitis growing up talks about her experience with mental health, embracing her sexuality, how a haircut in her life really changed her life in a big way and really shifted uh, the direction that she went with her career and kind of her why in life and uh, just the many other ways that she's, she's serving her community. So I hope that you take something from this conversation and, um, here we go. My chat with the absolutely wonderful Katie Steller. Okay. Well, are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. Ready for whatever comes out. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> what I love. <laughs> I um I just want to first of all thank you so much for for carving out some time to to sit down and chat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like when you reached out to me, it's just always such a, an exciting thing to be able to sit down and talk to you because I feel like the dialogue and the conversation we have comes from just such an authentic place and we get to share things and learn from each other. And so it's a huge honor to be here. Well, I, I think back to the, like in this exact space that we're sitting in, yeah. I've interviewed you a number of times <laughs> I know, and yes. I actually do think a lot of the best conversation has probably happened off camera I, like when we're not actually recording i know <laughs> it's like we have to have a camera on at all times. i know i know that's like the only time that we get together <laughs> yep. when we're recording things but um 
I'm, I'm just excited to, to dive into this conversation. And, and I know there's, there's some people listening to this who, um, know of you and, and the beautiful work that you're doing here in, in our community. And there's some people that maybe for the first time are, are hearing your story. Um, first of all, Stellar Hair Company, I know you started this, um, was this in 2013? Yeah. So it's been almost a decade of having Stellar Hair Company. Amazing. Yeah. It's and, wild. And, and I know there's a lot of other branches to what you do, but mm-hmm. how do you describe what, what Stellar Hair Company is all about? I mean, Stellar Hair Company came from a place of me seeing a problem and a missed opportunity in an industry. And Mm -hmm. instead of just letting that feeling simmer inside, I decided to try and just do something different, even if it didn't work out. And I really want to create a business and an environment where everybody felt valued as a person first, Um, whether it was from, you know, our, our stylists being paid a livable wage and having their personal lives respected or our clients coming in just however they were feeling welcomed and safe or even just the community as a whole like you don't have to get your hair cut here but you still felt comfortable and welcomed in our space yeah and as i understand it it was actually a haircut that you got Mm -hmm. when you were younger yeah that kind of set the stage for what you're doing now absolutely yeah and you know i've shared my story quite a bit but so if, if people have heard it, they know that I was not into the whole having a style and, you know, caring about my my outside appearance. And it wasn't from like an area of like humility or, or anything like that. It was more I just really didn't care. Mm. But yeah, when I was younger, I was going through a lot of different health things and autoimmune diseases and started losing my hair. And um, I didn't realize how important it was to me and to my identity until I started to lose it. And that's when my mom made this appointment for me to go get my first professional cut when I was 18 Mm -hmm. and sitting down in that person's chair, she unknowingly changed my life. It was one of the first experiences that I had had that I got to sit and have somebody talk to me purely as a person and to touch me in a way that was meant to you know, make me feel better about myself and not just like a medical procedure. Mm -hmm. And, and also like, weirdly enough, sit and look at myself in a mirror for that Mm -hmm. amount of time. Mm -hmm. When I think I, I realized I was pretty avoidant just with all my illness stuff. I just really, you know, you just don't, you don't want to see yourself. And so I think kind of being forced to sit in an environment like that, where I had to look at myself, but also have this caring, compassionate person touching Mm -hmm. me and caring about me and talking to me, it, it changed the whole trajectory of my life. And I never expected to be where I'm at now, but I'm glad that I let that push, you know, make me get into things that were very uncomfortable. And, you know, always kind of going back to the why I did it, you know, and that's what's been important throughout this whole experience of owning a salon is going back to that foundation of why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. And what is your why today? I mean, my why today has stayed the same as my why then, and it was to give somebody else the space to feel the way I felt Mm. and to create an environment where people can feel less alone, even for a moment, even if it's just five minutes, they feel seen and heard and cared about. And, you know, it's one of those things we can't fix the world's problems. We can't solve other people's hurt, but there's something that's so healing about having somebody enter it into it with you and just be there with you. Yeah. Which is so, so key. Cause sometimes we feel like in order to show up for people, we have to fix things for them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's not the case and because the case. also we just can't. So if you think you can, like you yeah. must have some secret power that most yeah. people don't. And in a way, like it seems like what you do and what everybody at Stellar Hair Company does is you're you're like holding space for people every single day. Absolutely. When they get their hair cut. Absolutely. And I think it's something that, especially for people who do consistently get their hair cut as a part of their routine, it can be lost in the shuffle of it. Like you might not realize what you're actually gaining by having that experience with a hairstylist and sitting in that chair. Mm -hmm. And I think that through COVID when salons were shut down and people were throwing an uproar about not being able to go in and get their hair cut, it wasn't just the service that people were missing. It was that human connection. It was that touch. It was that, yeah. that space. And you kind of with me losing my hair, you don't realize the value of something until it's gone at times. And so yeah. You know, it just, if anything, just solidified like, okay, there's, there's some power behind what we do here. Yeah. And so you mentioned being diagnosed with ulcerative colitis mm -hmm. when you were 11. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And, start, and started losing your hair as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I had a really hard time finding medication that worked. Um, mm -hmm. My body never went into remission with my colitis. And so I was constantly on all different varying types of drugs and treatments and hospital stays. And, you know, my body just wasn't absorbing nutrition. And mm -hmm. towards, you know, when I was 18, that's when I started to develop signs of colon cancer. And there was just not mm -hmm. one part of my colon that was like, okay, this is worth keeping around. And so that's when they decide to remove it. Yeah. And so just the shock your body goes through with that as well. It just alters everything. M mentally, how did that experience as a as a child impact you you know it's so interesting because I did not give that any thought as a child until I became an adult looking back at it you know and yeah. you know I remember once a doctor asked my mom like you know do you think that she's depressed and my mom was like no like mm. she's she seems good she seems happy and I think that as a kid it was my normal and so I it was my baseline. I thought I was okay. And I also was just very like motivated by being a positive kid. And like the nurses always commented on how happy I was and how, mm -hmm. you know, good of a patient I was. And people would comment on how strong I was or how resilient and all these things. And I think that looking back now, like I was struggling mm -hmm. with a lot of just mental turmoil and pain and yeah. I didn't know what to do with it as a kid because it did become my normal and now as an adult looking back I'm like I have a lot to to work through because of the survival tactics my brain took to get through those really traumatic times yeah so feeling a lot of things internally but still kind of projecting this thing absolutely. to the world of like positivity and I'm good absolutely yeah and that was something that they always had said to all my doctors people that you know knew me is like I never looked sick hmm. and like internally like my body was destroying itself yeah. and so like having that tangible knowledge of knowing that my body was very sick but on the outside I looked healthy is interesting to me because like as somebody who has struggled with you know a variety of different mental health yeah. struggles um it's the same kind of thing where it's like you look healthy but inside you have all these things that are just, you know, causing pain or destruction. And, and I think that having that, it's not even a facade, it's the reality of looking healthy, but it's 
just like that's what people foresee. Yeah. And you can almost try to convince yourself you are then. Yeah. And it makes it sometimes, I think, harder to reach out for help. Absolutely. When people don't see it. They don't. And you almost feel like you have to prove it yep. and justify it. And yep. I never wanted to do that. I always wanted, like as a kid with the physical illness stuff, I wanted to show up and do all the things my friends were doing, mm-hmm. you know, because I didn't look sick. But for me to do a normal go to the mall and go on some rides, it was like days of planning for me and like figuring out all my like strategies of if I get sick here, if I do this or this or this or this. So I might go, I might show up, I might have fun, but the amount of micromanaging in my body and my brain to make sure I could actually have that experience was huge. Yeah. Um, and you had your large intestine removed Yes. as a child, right? Yep. So when I was 18. Yeah. Okay. And that's a big procedure. It was a very big procedure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's six feet of intestine. Yeah. And yeah, it's amazing that your body can survive without it. And but. is that, does that require like a colostomy yeah. bag, right? So I had a colostomy bag for about six to eight weeks after my first surgery. Okay. So essentially they took out my colon and they gave me a colostomy bag to help heal. Yep. And then when things were looking good they were able to just reconnect like where my small intestine is. Okay. And so I don't have to wear a bag. Um, after experiencing wearing one, my heart goes out to people who yeah. do have to wear one for the rest of their lives. It wasn't a guarantee that I wouldn't have to have one. And so I feel always very grateful. Yep. Um, but that was a whole other experience. I of, bet. You know, just that, that kind of toss up war of, my body is failing me and my body is resilient, you know, it's like, it's not doing the things it's supposed to do. And at the same time, it's still taking care of me without a huge organ. Our bodies are incredible. They're incredible. So you mentioned the the mental health struggles and kind of, I think you said multiple mental health Mm -hmm. struggles in your life. Um, what about that? Are you comfortable sharing just kind of what that journey has looked like for you, you know, into adulthood? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very comfortable. I'm very yeah. open about it. And I think as somebody who didn't talk a lot about mental health stuff as a child, you know, I, I see the repercussions of internalizing all of that. And mm-hmm. so as I, as an adult have become more open and transparent and vocal about not only just my own mental health, but also wanting to advocate to create safe spaces and safety in other people sharing because when things yeah. live in the dark, that's when they have a hold on you. And when you can bring them to light, you realize that, you know, there are things that you can do and you're not trapped. Yep. And so I'm, I mean, I'm very comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, really the, I think the, the intention of, of this, you know, this podcast and this space that we create, I think is just right in line with that. Yeah. That, you know, when there's so many of us walking around with things that we're struggling with on a day-to-day basis, um, that nobody ever sees, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes just getting out of bed and stepping into our day is like a huge, huge victory. Absolutely. When things are really feeling intense internally. Yep. Um, are there, are there certain like diagnoses or anything like that, that that have resonated for you over the years in that in that area? Yeah, I mean, quite a few. And it was one of those things where I was really like, I really didn't believe I had any issues with yeah. mental health. And again, I think it's because it wasn't really talked about or the, the ways that it was talked about growing up 
just made you feel like you were kind of crazy or something was really wrong with you versus understanding that mental health is like physical health, which is a spectrum and we all have it. Um, but yeah, when I was going through an incredibly difficult time in my life where I was going through a divorce and, you know, there was a lot of really difficult, painful things happening in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. I, finally acknowledged and accepted the fact that I was struggling with eating disorder tendencies, Mm. um, which I was aware of just because I've seen other people in my life struggle. And I think I just kept trying to be like, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. Yeah. Um, and so I did start to seek help for that. And from there, you know, after doing work inpatient, outpatient, individual, um, recognizing and accepting the fact that I, you know, have PTSD and Mm -hmm. I have, depression. I have a pretty extreme anxiety disorder and, Mm -hmm. you know, my OCD and OCD tendencies. And, um, there's just, I mean, I feel like the list, because it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways too, like it can go on and on of just all these different things. But I think for me, instead of, I think what was kind of freeing is instead of just seeing it as like this long list of health issues, like, you know, I would see on my medical records for my physical health stuff is just seeing how it was all so intertwined and seeing how it all affected each other. And because of that, as I started to heal, I could start to see things shift in all these areas. And Mm -hmm. it became kind of like a a puzzle for me of like, okay, I have these things going on. This is how my brain operates. Some of it is, you know, just kind of how I am. And a lot of it is things that have happened in my life and how they've affected me and how I've processed them. Yeah. And what do I want to do with it now versus, you know, I think, I think one of the most powerful things, and I'm, I mean, people hear this kind of thing all the time, I'm sure. But like one of the most powerful things was for me to start to separate out of like, I am depressed, you know, but I'm Katie and I have depression or, you know, like for me physically being sick, like instead of being, I'm sick, you know, like I'm Katie and I have an autoimmune disease. And I realized that how much of my identity was wrapped up in being ill. And once I could separate myself out a little bit, just those like little, little (laughs) nudges of separation, I was able to start to really kind of regain some of my footing and be like, okay, these things are in front of me. They're not going away. What do I want to do with them? Absolutely. And I think, I think you bring up such a great point with you know, because sometimes I actually hesitate to ask, you know, specifically about diagnoses because, you know, we can kind of overly Mm -hmm. identify with those sometimes. Ah. But I, I, um, I think you're spot on with, we're all human beings Mm -hmm. and showing up in the world with a number of different symptoms, you know, symptoms and things that we're going through and things that feel really hard and challenging for us. And I think at least for me, like when I got the diagnosis of things like anxiety and OCD, it was, it was not that it, um, yeah, that, that wasn't who I am, but it gave me this like framework of, oh my gosh, this helps explain so many things about how my mm-hmm. brain works mm-hmm. and it can put me in touch with things like treatment modalities and things that can kind of mm-hmm. help me maneuver that part of myself and a community of people that Absolutely. I can say like, Hey, I struggle with some real OCD tendencies and somebody else can say, oh my gosh, me too. You mm-hmm. know, it, so I can create community around it too. So I think that's I think that's such a key piece when we're talking about diagnosis is like, it's not who you are. It's just maybe some framework and some language to kind of describe what's going on in your mind and in your body. Absolutely. And I think that that's something that as I've been able to reframe some of those things, 
and like accept them and accept that these are, you know, battles that I'm going to face. Mm -hmm. This is how my brain is, you know, wired. And this is like how I fall into if I'm in a stressful situation or if I'm afraid or if I'm, you know, whatever it is, like this is how I kind of operate. It yeah. allows me to kind of re-navigate and re-channel yeah. some of those things. Like if I know I react X, Y, and Z to something, I can be like, okay, like I know this about myself that that's given me data. Yep. How do I want to use that to almost turn it more into like a superpower or like yeah. something that is actually unique and different and allows me to think about things differently and problem solve differently and kind of taking ownership of that instead of just having it be the thing that's like keeping me from being a whole person. It's like, how can I make this work for me? Yeah. And I think what's really cool. So, so we can, you know, talking about like the, the struggles of mental health and diagnosis to flip that around a little bit. What, what do you bring to the table as a human being that you're really proud of? Ooh, that's probably giving me the hardest question. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird to talk about that stuff, like about ourselves, isn't yeah. it? Oh, I hate it so much. Yeah. I hate it. Like, yeah, I don't know if it's growing up in the Christian tradition. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> you can't take any of that credit or anything like that. I think, yeah, I think that, let's see, something that I am proud of myself. I think I, something I have grown pride and appreciation for is resiliency mm. and and not like perfect resiliency not like bright and shiny like superhero resiliency but just I know how low I've been yeah. and I know how much work it has taken at times for me to keep going or do the next thing mm-hmm but like looking back, I have all of this evidence of I still chose to do the next thing. Yeah. And that's something that like, you know, I had a lot of support and love around me, of course. But at the end of the day, that kind of falls to you. Like you are the one that has to make that choice. And and it's not easy. And no. it's not easy. And it's not something that I think that we take like we can take lightly, like it's, you know, it's, it can, it can be impossible sometimes or feel impossible. So I think that's something where I'm like, no matter how, I'll try not to swear on this podcast. You can swear all you want. (laughs) How (laughs) shitty things are (laughs) or have been. And I look back and I'm like, that could have completely destroyed me, but it didn't. And so, you know, it's like, sometimes I don't know exactly where that comes from, but I'm grateful that it's manifested itself in that way. And that I'm still here to, yeah. To talk about it and to keep having yeah. those hard days at times and getting back up and doing it all over again. It's wild how yeah. resilient we can be. Yeah, it really is. I, I've, I, um, try to, re- to try to remind myself of that often. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, cause it, it is when you, when you struggle, you know, whatever kind of end of the spectrum you're on when it comes to mental health struggles, yeah. like some days can be really dark yep. and can be really, really hard. And, um, you know, the mind can be a really, really powerful thing. It absolutely can. Yeah. I remember my, one of my therapists, um, she, she always like one of the mantras she would always say to me, was just like, you are capable. Mm. She'd call me capable Katie. Like even Mm. when there would be things I'd be like, I can't do this or this is too much or, you know, whatever. 
She's like, you're capable. You have a hundred percent success rate. Like yep. you're here. You've gotten through it. You've gotten through all those other things. Like, and I think that that has always stuck with me of like, I'm capable, even if I don't feel like it, yep. I can't ignore the fact that the things that have felt like they were going to destroy me haven't yet. Yep. <laughs> and, yep. and yeah, I feel really, I feel really grateful to be able to continue showing up even in those hard moments. Yeah. It was actually, and I, I wrote down what one of the kind of common, um, things that I've seen on like articles that you've been a part of, or like your website is, um, the, I, I can't read my own handwriting here. <laughs> well, showing up even when it's difficult. I yeah. saw that theme coming through a lot. Yeah. And I, and I love that so much. Cause that's, sometimes that's all we can do. No, absolutely. It, it is. And I think that, you know, as humans, as people were, you know, wired to want to avoid discomfort, yep. which I think is why mental health isn't talked about a lot. Yep. You know, I think that it's why we want to avoid eye contact with people who might be struggling or look different than us. You know, it's like we have this visceral reaction of like, I don't want to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know, but I think having the mental health struggles I've had and the physical health, like my life has been uncomfortable. Yeah. And so that's something that I'm used to now and I can't really avoid it. Yeah. I just get to choose what I'm going to do with it. And I don't know if this, if you resonate with this, I mean, based on what you said, I would imagine to some extent, yes. Like life is so much for me, at least it's about getting on, it's getting a little bit more comfortable and making space for the uncomfortable mm-hmm. versus trying to get it all to go away. Absolutely. Like I've, I, I t- that's usually when I tend to get myself really in trouble is when I'm trying to like do all the things to make myself feel perfect and ready. And then I can start showing up yep. and it's like, there's so much freedom as opposite as it sounds, at least for me along my journey, what's worked for me is how do I just get really good at showing up with all that uncomfortable mm-hmm. shit? right alongside me. Absolutely. There's absolutely. a lot of power in that, at least for me. Well, and I think that that's, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think that there's like the, the avoidance part again, gives more power to the thing that you're afraid of, Yep. you know? And I think that that's something that I've realized is if I allow myself to be in uncomfortable positions that, you know, you know, maybe being in that position aligns with my values or like, how I want to be mm-hmm. and you know, that kind of thing. It, 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 the fear of it starts to wane, even yep. if it's uncomfortable still to feel like, okay, but I'm still doing it and I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Yep. I've realized when I do suppress or avoid, avoid that, that item of discomfort becomes bigger and bigger yep. and bigger. Gross. And then I become less and less myself. I have to become more of a shell yep. because I don't want to go there. And yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. So stepping into discomfort, what, what are there other tools that help you, you know, just when it comes to mental health, things that you do, things that you tell yourself, just day-to-day things that, that maybe help you in, in, in this area? Yeah. I think a, a really big thing for me is to remind myself that I'm not trapped, mm. especially going into an uncomfortable scenario or, mm-hmm. you know, doing something that feels scary just reminding myself I always have like the permission to leave a situation. I was the permission to mm. step out of something. And I think by giving me myself that permission, I'm able to step into things that are a little bit more uncertain because without feeling like, Oh my God, I'm going to be stuck here now mm-hmm. and then avoiding it completely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this can go from like family gatherings to, 
even going into work or jumping on a meeting or, you know, whatever it might be, always reminding myself that I have permission to take myself out of something. Hmm. And I think that there was a lot of, a lot in my childhood that I didn't feel control. I felt trapped. I felt like, you know, with my medical stuff, I'd go into the hospital, people would touch me, people like I'd be, you know, put through procedures that were really scary and I was trapped, Mm -hmm. even though, you know, obviously they had to do those things and I wasn't like, it wasn't neglect or anything like that, but it just, I think that feeling as a child of not having autonomy and not being able to make decisions for myself and like just being frozen in that, it's taken me a lot of work as an adult to kind of just be like, no, like you can do this. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. You don't have to finish it. Like, and usually always I'm able to more calmly go into it then and be able to manage. But there have been times where I'll commit to something and I'll go and I'll just realize like, you know what, this isn't for me right now. I actually can't do this right now, Mm -hmm. you know, and and then to be able to take myself out of it again, that's just as valuable as staying in it is to give myself, okay, no, I can actually remove myself. Yeah. And it's it, it, something that I'm thinking of as you're saying that is there's, there's that balance too. I know for me of always trying to figure out when do I push through and just show mm-hmm. up with the discomfort and when do I kind of honor that, Hey, this just isn't in alignment for me right now. And I need to Absolutely. like pull back and take care of myself. And I don't have an answer for that at all, no, but I know that's I know. like, it's like that kind of ebb and flow of constantly trying to assess that. Yeah, it really is. And I think that that's, it, 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 it's so situational too. Yeah. You know, you could be going to the same situation on two different days and have a different outcome of what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and I think that I've been in enough situations where it's like I've pushed through and I shouldn't have probably. Mm-hmm. And I know how that feels, but then I have other situations where I didn't push through and I look back, I'm like, Oh, that would have that. I really wish I would have done that. Mm-hmm. And so it's trying to like pay attention to those moments and like where my decision is coming from. Is it coming from a fear of pleasing other people? Is it coming mm-hmm. from a fear of, you know, being looked down on yeah. or whatever, or is it coming from a place of, okay, like this really like aligns with my values, but I don't have the capacity for this and yeah. I can't show up in the way I want to show up. Yep. And so I'm going to step aside for this, you know? And so trying to like look at it that way of like, who am I doing this for? Mm-hmm. Which growing up a people pleaser, you know, it's yeah. usually everybody but yourself. And, but yeah. what I've realized by that is like, you're not actually doing it for other people then. And you're not actually showing up hundred percent yourself when you're doing it with this pressure of, yeah. you know, performing, And so I'd rather when I show up, really show up. And if I can't do that, then take a step back. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Stellar Kindness Project. Um, And I know kind of as a, a, under that umbrella is the Red Chair Project, Mm -hmm. which is just the coolest thing ever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, I love it so much. And so... How do you describe what Stellar Kindness Project is? Yeah, it's so it's so interesting. Like that question is interesting to me because I've talked about Stellar Kindness for you know I think we I started it back in 2018 I want to say or 2017 2018 and this was before the Red Chair Project and all mm-hmm. of that and you know the way that I've described Stellar Kindness is an excessively long list of all the things that I have done want to do all the feelings behind everything and it's not like a super efficient way to talk about it Mm -hmm. and so it's been interesting because I've been trying to kind of not 
reformulate, but more so become more concise with how to describe it just as we go into this next phase. So I don't have that figured out yet. So you're going to get more of the (laughs) jumbled. All the good things in life don't have a clear, concise answer. They don't. They don't. It's true. Um, Yeah. yeah, And I'm, I'm not sterile like that. Usually (laughs) it's usually you get a lot of fumbling and a lot of, you're not going to pull out a statement. Exactly. Project is this. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, the stellar kindness project was really just, it, it came from a place that was, you know, kind of perpetuated from my own mental health struggles at the mm. time. And, uh, you know, I had opened this salon with this whole like deep intention of creating this space where, you know, it was an oasis of safety for people to mm. not even just get a great service and a great haircut by really talented stylists, but also just a space to kind of take a break from the world yeah. and to be in a community and you know through the ups and downs of owning it it's like i still i use my space so much for community ventures i used it to to give a lot whether it was space whether it was haircuts whether it was anything exposure like i just wanted i wanted my space to be used to the utmost mm-hmm. and you know as we grew and got busier and everything i couldn't do quite as many of the community ventures that i had wanted to do and so I'd always had in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, someday I'd love to start a nonprofit. Yeah. I had no idea what that looked like, what it would be about, who it would be for, but mm-hmm. that was always in the back of my head. But yeah, I was, it was, yeah, I think 2017, 2018 that I was really struggling with my own depression and I, I am a sponge and, you know, the pain of others is so heavy for me. And that's been a lot of some, like a lot of my work has been learning how to have boundaries so that I can mm-hmm. actually care for people be, because yeah. me putting all their pain on myself was not actually caring for them. It was just displaced pain yeah. that was then suffocating me as well. Um, and I just realized, like, you know, I have this platform, you know, a physical one, but just also metaphorically of, like, this brand. And what if I started to share stories of, of kindness in a world that is so full of really painful news and to just really encourage people that the way they show up in the world matters and it doesn't matter how much money you have, how much time you have, you know, the impact you think you have, mm-hmm. that your life is valuable and other people are encouraged by you. Yeah. And so it started out just from a place of storytelling. Um, and so essentially people would send in a nomination of somebody who had shown up with an act of kindness to them and it inspired them and, I'd bring that person into the salon. I would give them whatever makeover they wanted, kind of like a queer eye vibe. So cool. And um, throughout that, just conduct a really organic interview to not just like learn about them, but also learn about like their kindness and do they realize it and who inspires them and trying to kind of create this like blueprint of like all these different rivers and valleys of how kindness shows up mm-hmm. and how it grows and how we might not even realize the impact. Yeah. And so uh, that's, that's really where it came from. And then from there, just the response I started to get from people is not only were people feeling excited and inspired by reading these stories, but people were beyond excited to share stories of people who were kind to them. Mm-hmm. And it just was this like beautiful, like currency of kindness that, you know, it's like the more people gave, the more they got, it was like an investment mm-hmm. that just keeps giving. And so it just showed me there was something there. People 
it's it's not even just about having like bright, shiny, rainbow-filled stories. Yeah. It's just people want to have hope and people want to have connection. And they were getting that through this platform. Yeah. So, yeah. So from there, it really did. It grew in so many different facets. And um, but but the storytelling and the sharing has always been kind of at the at core the foundation of, it. of it. Yep. And then I know that um, that branched out into the Red Chair Project mm-hmm. kind of was a, a product of that. Yes. Um, tell us for people who haven't heard about that, what that's yeah. all about. Yeah. So, um, I mean, as a hairstylist, that's a very tangible, organic way for me to show up for others and yeah. to give, you know, it's like everybody, you know, could use some t- type of hair service, yep. even if you're bald, like there's always something we can do. Um, can you come in bald to a, to a, I mean, you can actually come in. We'll do what, we'll do what we can. We'll yeah. do something. Give that <laughs> we'll nice head massage exactly. that happens at the end of exactly. your, your wash. Or shine it a little. Shine it up a little bit. That's <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, it's, and so like, that's something I've, I really have seen like through having a salon is we have a very real tangible way to help people, Yeah. you know? And so the Red Chair Project came from, um, actually kind of going back to my childhood of growing up in downtown Minneapolis and I grew up in a neighborhood where nobody looked like me which I realize now is such a privilege you know Mm -hmm. and I grew up having people of every ethnicity and age and language and you know background and you know I think for me as a kid to grow up not afraid of difference in that way was something that not everybody gets to have and I'm forever grateful. Yeah. Um, but also seeing a lot of need, a lot of people who were struggling and it just always was such a heaviness for me as a kid and as an adult. And yeah, um, yeah that's where, you know, kind of combining that haircutting yeah. technique as well as like, okay, I'm in a community and I am around people all the time that are asking for help. You know, what if we went and offered haircuts to people? So you know, cool. if you drive by somebody and they say they have a sign that says anything helps, like why not offer a haircut, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just this idea of I might not have all the money in the world. I might not have, you know, the perfect resource or a home or anything like that. But what I do have is the ability to cut hair. Yep. So what if I offer that? And so it, the the aspect of it that has definitely kind of caught more of the attention was the fact that I use a real salon chair. Yeah. And a part of that is, you know kind of going that extra step of showing value to a person and bringing that salon experience to them. Like I've had people ask like, why don't you use a folding chair? Why don't you do X, Y, and Z? And it's like, we could do all those things and they'd probably get the same haircut, Mm -hmm. but it's about putting that extra effort in and having somebody experience somebody putting extra effort into making sure they had a positive experience that it was just important to me. And when I, this is part of my compulsiveness, like when I get an idea, I get set on it and nothing can sway me. And so that's just how it it all started. And it started out with just me going around and doing these haircuts and it has now grown into barbershops and salons around the area and hairstylists and, you know, hundreds of volunteers that will take big groups out to, you know, different shelters, different organizations, parking lots, like you name it, we've brought it all over the place. And again, just like, you know, how Stellar Kindness kind of started, it's, it started with something small yep. and then it, it was attractive to people and they wanted to get involved and then it grew and it grew and it grew. And now, you know, we're in a position that 
you know, this nonprofit that I was so. manifesting somehow and didn't know what it was going to be like. And if you would have asked me when I first had the thought, like I would not have thought that this was going to be it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just shown me there's a need and there's a desire to fill the need. Yeah. And I want to give the opportunity to be able to do that. You know, yeah, it's 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 so beautiful. I mean, for people who haven't seen videos of it or stories, um, you literally grab your red <laughs> salon chair, you put it in the back of a car, you drive mm-hmm. around and you give people haircuts. Yep. And most of these people are experiencing homelessness. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely. And I think that that's actually something that has been, you know, as we're thinking through about the next phase of stellar kindness, where we're going, it was never my objective or intention to have such a focus on neighbors who are unhoused or experiencing homelessness, but that's just how it naturally has grown. And something that I've just learned is like, let things naturally grow. And through these haircuts, I've also gained so much awareness and knowledge about some of the deeper issues, like not just structurally in our society, but just also just like from a mental health level Mm -hmm. and needs that aren't being met and just realizing that, okay, this red chair project started with a haircut, but I see it propelling into really advocating for even greater change mm. because we have on the ground, in person, face-to-face information of what people are struggling with and what they need and where they are not getting support. Yeah. And it goes so much bigger than a roof over their head. Totally. And so I think that that's where, you know, yeah, looking looking to the future, I'm really hopeful that we're going to be able to gain all like take all the things that we've been made aware of and propel that into even even more of a variety of of mm-hmm. work and so well it just shows too that you know on, on the surface what looks like a haircut can mean so much something so much deeper Absolutely. and you think about that with like everybody out there whatever you're doing in your in your world mm-hmm. i mean you're there's there's the the act that maybe you're doing and yet if you do it with like a certain intention or like, like it, it can represent so much more than what's at the surface. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's the thing about just looking at people in general, like, yeah. you know, we see it's that whole iceberg analogy of you see that tip of the iceberg, but what's underneath it is so much more complex and big. And there's just so many different things going on there. And I think that that's something where we really, you know, miss the train with, humanity is when we look at somebody and we just see that tip and that's just like where we leave it you know and I think that that's where like something that I say with the project is like go beyond the sign you know when you drive by somebody and they're asking for help a lot of times our eyes stop at the sign Mm because it's uncomfortable to look past it and see a person but like go beyond the sign and like look at that person and know that you both have experienced love in your life. You both experienced pain in your life. You both have experienced sadness and loss and joy. Like those are the common human experiences that, you know, we can all relate to and ask them about themselves, hear their story, like want to understand, not just have a problem fixed, you know, like we talk about the fixing of problems, you know, earlier on. And like, this isn't just a problem to be fixed. These are human lives that, Mm-hmm. need so much empathy and space and safety and yep. love. And another cool kind of common thread that I've seen is just that like, you know, the, the need for people to be seen, mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, to really see people. Um, how do you usually, how do you go about that? And like, have you learned something about how to truly see people through this work? Like when you're out there 
giving somebody a haircut or interacting with people? Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I'm always like, I always try to think about too, like whenever I'm like, I want to see people or I want people to feel seen. I always try to think like, when have I felt seen? seen? Yeah. Because I think when we can kind of empathize with what that feels like, it's easier for us to, to give it. Yep. And uh, I think that there's just something that you can just kind of feel in, in a, when you're connecting with somebody, when they feel like, okay, like, like I feel seen, I feel like you see me as a person and it's, it's beautiful. I think that for me, and, and this is a part of just like kind of the racing of my, my brain with like my, my compulsive thoughts and anxiety and everything is when I am either doing a haircut for somebody for stellar kindness or even in the salon or talking to a friend or, you know, talk to my partner, you know, it, whatever it is, if I notice my racing thoughts, yep. I know I'm not fully like slowing down to see somebody. Mm. And so part of it for me is also just kind of like knowing myself to be like, I might care about this person deeply, yep. but if like, I'm not letting myself be present, I'm not really fully seeing them. Yeah. And so part of it is personal accountability of, I know how powerful it is to feel seen yep. and I want to be able to do that for people. And I think too, just like also having an interest in someone asking questions like that's something that I've like one of my favorite parts of stellar kindness is just the questions that I get to ask people Mm -hmm. and the responses that I don't expect and there's just something about having somebody truly interested in you that just makes you feel seen and so it's a very easy thing for us to do is to have just a slight bit of interest in somebody else's experience As we kind of start to wind down here a little bit, I I, want to ask you about this and kind of speaking of feeling seen, I know you let kind of everybody um, on your social media channels see a piece of you not that long ago. I think it was actually the last time that we we connected. I I actually had the honor of sitting down in here and and kind of interviewing you about this. And that was opening up about your your sexuality. Yeah. Um, Where are you at with that today? (laughs) Oh, wow. No, I mean... It is. It's actually really interesting to be in this space again with you because yeah. that was a life-changing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I realized, like, you know, that holding back that part of myself and the authenticity of, like, my sexuality and my identity in that way was really keeping so many people in my life an arm length away and not giving Mm. them the opportunity to truly see me and accept me. And my fear of the few that might not was keeping the multitude of people that would separate. And, you know, I think that when I did finally make that decision of like, I looked at my salon and I was like, I'm so such an advocate for come as you are, be yourself, you're safe and welcome no matter who you are, like you're valuable. And just realizing that I wasn't applying that to myself mm-hmm. and realizing that I was creating this space that I think I had always wanted growing up and I always wanted even as an adult. And there was just this very deep rooted fear and obviously there was like some trauma in there yeah. too of just having people see this part of myself and it kind of, it, it, yeah, it, it 
finally hit me that if I want to truly be this authentic person that's living in line with my values and being true to my word, I need to share this. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't want to limit like the potential joy and happiness that I could have by finding a partner that I truly connect with. And I was doing that. And so it was a really big step to share that part of myself. And I'm forever grateful for you because like, I really thought long and hard, like, do I want to just write something? Like I knew it wasn't something that I had to broadcast, but at the same time, my life was public enough that when I start to date somebody, it's going to be out there. And do I want to be able to share things in my words or just have people kind of make assumptions? And so I think to be able to have a, a visual of my face and hear my voice as I shared these things was directly in line with how I wanted to present that part of myself. And, and I think the thing that was so incredible after that, sharing that, even though it was absolutely terrifying and I never in a million years thought I would Mm -hmm. be that open, um, was the amount of love and support and also people coming and saying like, like, I've been struggling with this, you know, and it's like when you open yourself up and share those really vulnerable things in a way that still like respects you and respects like what, you know, your desire and your need is around it. Like it gives other people that opportunity as well. But I knew that I had to first and foremost do it for myself. And I mean, and since then, like a lot of the people that I was really worried about have blown me away with their kindness and their compassion and their love Mm. and me realizing that I was not giving them that chance Mm. and like it gives me goosebumps to even think about and then the people who had negative things to say I also just was like oh and I actually don't really need to give you that much space in my life either and and that's an okay thing to be able to recognize like okay like these are the people that I want to pour my time into and these are people where I can love you from afar, totally. you know, and totally. so I'm, I'm really, I'm really grateful. I have a partner. We've been together for, it'll be two years in a few months. Amazing. And I never, especially after going through all of, all of the trials and tribulations of childhood and then marriage and divorce and treatment yeah. and all this stuff, never thought that I was going to have the ability to have this sense of safety in a relationship again and this sense of like mm-hmm. being at home and I can honestly say that being more open and just accepting and not accepting in the sense of like I feel great about myself all the time I mm-hmm. still have so much anxiety around you know all of all of this yep. <laughs> but accepting the fact that this is a part of who I am it's given me space and the ability to find that sense of safety in that home. And it's, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful. So thanks for changing my life, Brian. Hey, (laughs) hey, I was just the conduit in that moment to to capture it for you. (laughs) Very talented. (laughs) It's actually why I had you on this podcast. just So you could tell me, so you could tell me that I changed your life. (laughs) Well, you know what? Mission accomplished. (laughs) Mission accomplished. Um, 
it's so cool to, it's just so cool to hear you talk about it now, yeah. kind of, you know, a couple of years removed from it. Cause I know how much anxiety there was for you in that so moment. It's like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, am I, why, you know, is this the right thing to yeah. do and all that stuff. And, and yet what a, what an illustration of stepping into an uncomfortable space yeah. and some, you know, oftentimes the expansion that's on the other side of that. Absolutely. It's, and I'm so glad I did. Yeah. I think again, it's one of those moments of evidence of, you know, whatever next uncomfortable thing is in my life, I can look back at this one. Yes. I can look at the, these other ones that I've done and been like, okay, my life became richer because I was able to do that. Yes. Like, I want to keep propelling that forward. It's like the, uh, life, there's just all these like little uncomfortable portals that we have to step through. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, it's you know, true. And, and yet on the other side, there's always this like, I don't know, always, that's a pretty bold statement, <laughs> but, but oftentimes so much expansiveness. Mm-hmm. That's how I kind of describe it on yeah. the other side. It makes me think of, did you ever read the book growing up, uh, We're Going on a Bear Hunt? No. Okay, so this was one of my favorites, yeah. but the, the whole thing is, I'm not even going to the premise of it, you can pick it up at Target, but <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the lines is like, we're going on a bear hunt, we're going to catch a big, big one, what a beautiful day. We're not scared. And then it goes like, oh no, grass, long swing grass. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. Mm-hmm. Oh no, you have to go through it. Mm-hmm. And it just shows like this little family having to go through all these elements and they want to go around it. They want to go over it. But then they finally are like, nope, I have to go through it. Yeah. And they get through it and they get on to the next thing. Yeah. And I think that that's whenever I'm faced with something, I'm always like, how can I avoid this? I know. And then it's like, I just have to go through it. And yeah. I can say that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I'm glad that I've gone through all, yeah. all of the things, all of the elements. And here you are. And still here. Here we are. <laughs> I know. Still, still kicking it. <laughs> exactly. Um, as we, as we do kind of like wrap up here, I just, I always just kind of like to, to end on this note sometimes with people, just kind of what's giving you hope these <laughs> days. Oh, what is giving me hope? I mean, to be honest with, I'm, I'm finding hope in a lot of different areas of my life. Mm. And some of them seem really small, but I think that's the thing about hope is like it can grow yep. from a very small place. I think that I'm finding hope in, strangely enough, humanity. Mm. I think through the Kindness Project growing and having a little bit more like focus on it and kind of seeing people's reactions and the impact it just is giving me hope that this idea that I've had that these small acts of kindness can create real change. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's fact behind that now for me. Yeah. And so to see it grow and grow and grow, it just gives me hope that, you know what, just keep doing the next best, best thing, yeah. you know? And, and so I think that that's definitely something, but I think too, like what's giving me hope is also just seeing myself and others just just this ability to change Mm -hmm. i think that in little areas of my life where there have been elements that i haven't liked about myself or feel like oh you know i struggle with this one thing so much it's never going to change it's never going to change but then when i'm able to find ways to like pivot and start to see a change it just gives me hope that things that are feeling really hard right now don't have to be a forever hard, mm-hmm. you know, and allowing things to just like change and like kind of sit with like the discomfort and yeah. then see, you know, things grow from there. And so 
I think, yeah, hope comes in all different shapes and sizes and externally, but also internally. And I think just trying to notice, notice them and notice it and have that be something that propels you forward when things feel pretty bleak. Yeah. Well, you're amazing, my friend. You are. And we'll, we'll schedule our next interview for two, two years, years from now. <laughs> same place, I'll same time. <laughs> we'll see what's going on in I'll your life there. then. <laughs> awesome. Thank you um, so much, Brian. All right. You're the best. Loved that conversation with um, with Katie and a big thank you to her for, for making time for it. I'm going to put a link in the show notes of this podcast for where you, where you can check out her website, learn more about the incredible work that she's doing, the Red Chair Project, all of that. And also we'll put information of where you can follow her along on social media if that interests you. So thanks for being here, my friends. Um, be gentle with you out there. And as always, take what serves you from this conversation and go ahead and leave the rest. We'll talk soon. Also, just a reminder that this podcast is not meant to replace work with a therapist. And so if you feel you need it, I encourage you to reach out to a trained mental health professional. All right, we'll talk soon.